Well, good morning. Uh, thank you, David, for the talk last night. You're welcome. I felt the love. I feel like we're in between two ferns. That, Yo, uh, what should we do? Should we like turn? If I turn this way, you guys know Jason Michelli? Come on. I mean, yes. Thank you. Okay. Yes. We're grateful you all are here, and I know people are going to kind of be uh, uh, trickling in by the thousands. And um, this is good. This is good, good, good. David, how should we start this morning? Um, with some forward folds. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Namaste. No, I, well, uh, we could what talk. What would it feel like to, I mean, to, to have a conference, to stand before a room full of people? Well, if, if you're in the, the church game, or it, it's very difficult to do what we're trying to do without audience interaction, or at least not, I don't even try to think of people as audience. It's just for a year, in my context, I've been preaching to a screen. And as we always say, like, it's better than nothing, but just barely. And... Um, and so just to see the body language, to see people's expressions, to, uh, it, it, it's in, it, you know, Christianity is embodied faith. It's not, it, it cannot exist in ones and zeros, at least not exclusively. So uh, I was just like sort of moved to tears about it, to be honest with you. It feels incomplete. I don't, Jason, what do you think about that? Uh, it felt really good for me um, to, to laugh in reaction to something that happened in a room that I'm in uh, that didn't involve my family. You know? <laughs> that, that, um, you know, and, and then I was thinking about it, like as a preacher, one of the things that sometimes gets on my nerves is when someone will laugh at the wrong thing mm. and it will like mess up my train of thought or what, you know, the words coming out of my mouth. And, and, and that's a reminder to me that part of what it means to be a Christian is to have I mean, I'll say this tomorrow, but like, is to have friends that you would never choose to have if Jesus were not your friend, you know? And so, like, laughing last night with other people was a reminder that, like, that's part of the fabric of our kind of community as Christians, mm. is, is these people that we wouldn't otherwise choose, but they've been chosen for us. And it, it's like you're brought together through laughter and tears, mm -hmm. essentially. I agree. I think that's... Yeah, you know, you try to like land some jokes to a screen, and it just it falls. You have no idea what it, what what's happening. Well, I mean, I've done a couple like there's yeah. a few times this year where it's like I'll make the the camera guy laugh, <laughs> you know, and then I have to, and then I have to start the thing all over again because it's going to sound weird if there's just someone behind the camera laughing. Um, so it's like you know, take three. Um, so well, yeah. life is so performative already yeah. that to then add a camera and. To, to add that artifice onto a church service is a little tragic, I think. It's like but, that scene in Woody, in Annie Hall, where Woody Allen's in Hollywood, and he's like seeing how they put the laugh track over the, the scene. <laughs> it, just, it just feels false. Yeah. Yeah. But, I, uh, it, it, through COVID, when we were playing in here, we we would bring the band in. We had a big enough stage to stand six feet apart, uh, but I, we didn't mask. But uh, we did stand six feet apart, and we played, but to an empty audience, just to cameras. And, I, and, and so I told uh, Mark Schwartzkopf, our wonderful audio engineer and overall facilities manager here at the, at, at, at the foundry, I said, as long as I see your head bopping, and he's not like super effusive, and so as long as I, okay, it, and it's in time to the music, I feel affirmed. Because I need a little bit of permission yeah. to be me. And it turns out like you need to do that in community 
and, and you don't get that any kind of feedback. It, you know, it's what you already said. Well, no, I was thinking about how the guy who's been filming our services in Charlottesville. Oh. See, I should have sat on that side since we're sharing the mic. Okay. Let's yeah, let's do let's that. This is like public access. <laughs> <laughs> no, the guy who, um, who films our services in Charlottesville, uh, he was just someone who came recommended, and he was a nice guy and kind of needed the work. And um, we had no idea. He was so stone-faced every time you tried to tell a joke or you're, you're pouring your heart out into this thing. You're like, no, I, is it any of this getting through, Donnie? You know? And... Um, and then uh, all of a sudden he just cornered my, our assistant uh, rector uh, who had sort of had this connection with him. And uh, he told her like, um, uh, I haven't been to church in 10 years and this has meant more to me than anything. And he's like tears are in his eyes. And then our assistant rector, she'd be embarrassed if I told this uh, nationally, but I'm gonna do it because she's on sabbatical and hopefully not watching this. But she found out that his daughter was studying organ and uh, raised a bunch of money to get her a scholarship to go to this thing. And so, so there was this beautiful, and the whole family came and everyone's crying. And I would never have written that script, like in a million years, when this guy showed up and looked like he was going through the motions. And so, God's at work, and like I, that was a really cool thing to see. And this. Everyone, everyone being, like the guy was found it unexpected, it was a surprise, we did, and all of a sudden we have this young woman going to study organ um, out, of, out of the blue. Because they couldn't afford it otherwise. So. I was thinking at the end, like where David landed last night, um, you know, so, so as a pastor over the years, I've done a number of funerals for children, um, and one of the things I've noticed in the course of that is that, you know, after the funeral and the burial and all of that, very often those families will leave the church. Um, you know, and if, and if they see me, like they go to, you know, they go to another church or they just fall away or, um, but if I run into them at the grocery or, or you know, to like a baseball game or something, they want to avoid me, you know? Yeah. Um, and, it, and it's, so I think those are like little isolated, concentrated examples of what we've all collectively been through this year, um, you know, and I, and I think that's connected to just how numb we are to the, the casualty rate this year. But like it's it's, you know, I think we we are afraid of death, um, and and we can't we can't process it on on the scale that we've all kind of um, experienced it either personally or, or in some sort of connection. Um, but at the, on the other hand, that's like a huge missional opportunity for the church. Well, one of the real salient points that came through to me was the permission to stop doing what you felt formally obligated to do, <laughs> right? And so there's something about, um, there's something freeing in deciding, yes, we are definitely afraid of death, but in light of Christ and in through the, through the season of COVID, I know that Megan and I found that there were pathways that we had were, were grooves that we had been in that were actually producing death. They were depleting us, and that COVID gave us the opportunity to relinquish those old grooves and find new ones, so that it doesn't. You know, and there's some, there must be something there to to suffering redemptively. Mm. You know, 
There was that meme that went around early on in COVID where it was like uh, people before COVID and everyone's like, it's a family, everyone's on their screens like looking, you know, at, at the news or the Minecraft or something. And then it's like families during, during COVID and like everyone's outside and just having fun and they got the bikes ready and stuff like that. And it's, it's sort of the law. Our response is whatever we're not allowed to do, we all of a sudden want to do. But it's, um, it, I think that there has been a recalibration for, for people in that respect uh, that I hope will last. I don't, I don't think it will, but it, it, I hope it will. And I think that it's lasting for me in certain ways. So. And there's like a, I think there's like a, uh, on the one hand, you know, like how do we, how do we acknowledge the gravity of, of things and speak the gospel into it? And, and then on the other hand, you know, it's like, how do we give people permission to, to, to say like, well, actually, no, this has been a, like, a, <laughs> like I've spent more time with my family than I ever did. Like, this is great. <clears throat> um, you know, like how do we name like the, the, the way, you know, like, you know, like the Joseph story, like you intended it for ill, but God, you know, like mm. you know, how do we name the places where, where God has brought good into it mm. um, without feeling guilty? Well, I have to say, I totally agree with you. And that's all I wanted to say. <laughs> well, James, no, yeah, sorry. What are you going to say? I'll just hear more about how it's, how it's functioned that way for you. If, if. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, I mean, uh, so my wife's a lawyer in, in Washington, D.C., and so she has that, like, schedule most of the time. Um, and so early in the pandemic, she moved her office to, to home. And so, like, you know, like, we were there in the morning together. Um, you know, so I'm doing morning prayer with my church, and she's, like, starting her work on the sofa in the other room. But it's all, like, one room. Uh, you know, my son's on the island in the kitchen doing his schoolwork. Um, so it's... You know, it's been kind of, uh, I think it's been a way of, you know, I don't, I don't want to say that, like, God brought this, but I do want to say that, like, God's used it to teach us how to rest. Yeah. Um, and observe the Sabbath. Well, I, I think the word we've been using is not that God brought this, but he superintends our suffering for his glory and for a deepening of our existence. And I would say that like in, in our home, uh, there's the four of us, the two girls, 12 and 11, and Megan and I, uh, and there's a sorry dog as well in the mix. But, uh, and I'm talking about an actual dog, not like a son that I call a sorry dog. But, <laughs> but basically like getting to, getting to be so close with one another, it's brought out the best and the worst. And it's been a real good opportunity to talk about original sin, like, and in a way that actually brings down to earth, like, hey, I know daddy's here again with you at home and you're tired of me and you're having to come to terms with the fact that you love me, but you've seen a lot of me and there are things that you don't like any longer. So, you know, it's like, it's like the more opportunity we've had during the pandemic to like have conversation as a family, the more times I've been reminded, uh, <laughs> that I don't listen, <laughs> you know? um, and, and so like so so it's been uh, like a growth edge too. But but it's been you know so th- th- it's it's been difficult for sure. Um, but it's it's there's, there's been good things <clears throat> there, and I don't know that kind of our national narrative about the pandemic has given us the freedom to kind of name the good things. Mm. Yeah, and if anything, like I, I, my talk probably aired on towards some more negative. <laughs> um, aspects of what it's what it's aired, but um, 
I do think the nonstop pace and performancism of contemporary life is something that most people, if you woke them up in the middle of the night, would say is, is insane and deeply destructive to their mental and spiritual well-being, but they feel completely powerless to interrupt it. And uh, to have that interrupted for us, I think, is a, was, is a mercy. It's just so sad that it came at a deep cost, but don't most good things come at a cost? Um, so I, 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 I'm interested in hearing more from you guys about, um, about that. One of the benefits of wanting to do this conference in, you know, in May was because we're already sick of talking about COVID. I, I get bored of myself talking about COVID when like, I'm telling people, ask how their church has done or how they've done through it. But it is, it is gonna be a marker that's important. So it, 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 I wanted to have a chance to sort of sum up some of the things for posterity before we move on. Cause it's like you, you read your old journals and things that were so important, you just forget that that was what you learned. And uh, maybe that this can be a little bit of that, especially as Christians sort of point to the, or the church points to the, to the future. So, I mean, what, what Jason, as, as a, you're a pastor and very involved in all sorts of different avenues of ministry, like what, what do you, what um, roots of hope do you see? Like where, where are you, uh, what do you, what's on the horizon? In, if, if I were to, you know, I'm asking you. Yeah, no, I, I think um, I, I've been really encouraged and surprised by, um, you mentioned last night how, uh, about like Peter's sermons and acts, or just the, the sermons and acts and how mm -hmm. they're all the same and they're not, you know, personal. Um, and so I think one of the encouraging signs for me is to see how when you strip away all the stuff a lot of us couldn't do this past year, um, kind of the the practices that mark the, the, the first church in the book of Acts kind of really are what people need and crave. Um, and, and so when, you know, when the pandemic hit, we were still able to carry those on in some fashion and that, and that people really yearned for them. Uh, you know, so, so that, you know, before, like two years ago, if I had like morning prayer at 8.30 in the morning, there'd be like three people there at church. You know, but instead there's like 30 people in Zoom and there's a whole bunch of other people online, um, you know, and, and when it's not there, like I, I get emails about it, you know, so, mm. so it, there's, thing, you know, all the, the, all the bending over backwards and the gyrations we went through to how, to, how do we give the sacrament to people, um, you know, uh, you know, all, all the, the feedback we've gotten about, like the sermons mean so much more to me now. Mm. Um, so, so I think it, it's it's clarified what we're about as a particular people who, who follow Jesus. Mm. Um, um, and, and I think it's clarified for us too, like, okay, well, we're not sure about money. Um, we're gonna turn the lights off, but like, what, what is the gospel for us? Like, what, what, you know, why are we here? Yeah. Um, Talk about that, because I have something I wanna read about relative to that. You know, I'm just so caught up think, listening to what you're saying, which is uncharacteristic to me. A lot of times I'm waiting to talk, not actually listening. But right now I'm just you? listening. Yeah, me, actually. Well, Matt, I mean, you've been here in Texas, which is a very different scenario than what we're dealing with in Virginia. That's right. Uh, so do you remember the pandemic? <laughs> 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 All right, so, so 
So I rem so the, the first Sunday we closed, it was, it was the second Sunday of Lent, and I made the decision on Tuesday of that week to not to close the doors. And I was like, because I had just been here. Uh, uh, and so, and I have to say, like, when I was here before the pandemic, Casey took photos of me and Travis, and then I got the photos right before the pandemic, and I was like, oh my gosh, my wife has not told me how much my hair is thinning. <laughs> and so I, I left Tyler and I went home and I shaved my head. And so, so thank you to the people of Tyler for helping me embrace reality. Um, but I remember, uh, so I, we, I, we closed worship that Sunday and, and, I, and I texted Matt and I was like, I think we're just gonna try to do some sort of like Facebook Live service. Can you help me do the music? And we did that uh, and afterwards we were chatting and I was like, so you think you guys are gonna like shut down? And he's like, no. <laughs> Um, and I think he did for a little bit. I was talking big. I was talking big. <laughs> can, I, can I read this to you guys? <clears throat> this is a, Scott Ben Hayes, is a, the, he yeah. just retired as the bishop of, um, the Episcopal Bishop of Georgia. And he said, um, he posted something about how to grow a congregation. And uh, he said, years ago when I was recruiting at one of our seminaries, I ended each interview by doing a role play with the seminarian. <clears throat> I'd play who I was, minus being a bishop, a 50-something, overeducated, occasionally uh, cynical, straight white male. I asked each seminarian to tell me why I should join their church. They all mentioned community. I said I attended AA. I had all the needed support. They mentioned outreach opportunities. I replied I was an active member of Rotary. I was already fully involved in helping needy folk. Lastly, they mentioned the glorious music program at their church. I responded I had season tickets to the local symphony. I already enjoyed plenty of great music. I waited patiently for some mention of how their church could meet my greatest need, namely to be reconciled with God through Jesus by his cross. It never came. One did mention Jesus would be a good exemplar for my life, so I gave him points for that. Parish clergy aren't social directors, community service providers, or music impresarios. We got one thing and one thing only, God's grace in Jesus. We're stewards of the great narrative redemption. When we busy ourselves with other tasks, we'll lead, but it won't be missional leadership. Uh, my friend Paul Zoll told me that every church he's ever seen or been a part of that's led with Jesus Christ and him crucified has grown. That's been my experience too. Like the churches Jesus addresses in John's revelation, we're focused on the, um, we're focused on the wrong thing. Uh, the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. Um, We've lost track of the main thing when we think evangelism is convincing people to adopt our positions on social issues. Anyway, I thought that was very interesting. It's clarifying to like, what is the church for? Is it for good music, community outreach? These are all good things. I love great music. I love community outreach. But what does the church have to offer a, a world that's dying by COVID and by its own hand? Uh, well, and you asked, you asked me what was it like here for me, and w as soon as I knew we were shutting down, as soon as people started to wear masks, I started to see, oh boy, here we go. Here's the law <laughs> at play. Should I or shouldn't I? He should. He shouldn't. You know, all of this sort of like divisiveness because we're, we're prone to clinging to, like, I want to be right. I want to be. I want to be making the right choice, and and I want and I want those that I love to be making the right choice. And there was this all these psychodynamics at play. All of a sudden, were brought so much clearer because there was a palpable mask or no mask. Get together or don't get together. You know, are you going to make a choice, and should you feel condemned for having made that choice? You know, it's, these are these are heavy, heavy things that came to play on the, on the surface level in ways that we really had to struggle with a little bit. 
Yeah, when people talk about the law as a curse, that's what I kept coming back to that. Like, it feels like a curse to have this extra layer of evaluation laid on top of, yeah. of a, a human being that's already evaluating other people themselves, true, like harshly, and um, uh, arbitrarily. And so, like, my neighbor, who I, my actual neighbor, not my theoretical neighbor, the guy who lives, and his wife who live next to me, like, and I see him spraying down his groceries, like four months after the CDC has says that does nothing. And I'm thinking like, that guy's such a tool. And, <laughs> and I think, then I think like, well, what's wrong with me? Like what, you know, I'm, I'm such a self-righteous idiot. And, and it, it, this layer of judgment on top of everything else, that's what feels like a curse to me. And I wonder if like, how is my, does my Christian faith help me to uh, drop some of those veils of judgment or does it just increase them? Um, and for me, it brought me to my knees. One of the things that my brother John says in the, the Brothers is All podcast is like, growing in holiness is rarely getting better at something. It's becoming you know, more aware of how much you lack something. And for me, COVID has had that, I've realized the extent of my self-righteousness, my knee-jerk judgment of other people is so um, endemic and violent and dehumanizing that it is uh, d deeply convicting of my need for savior. I, everyone wanted to go to Home Depot, right? Uh, because all we could do was work in the yard and be, <laughs> the, to be outside at our house. But at, in Texas, it was like this for, for, man, for a man. I go, to, I go to Home Depot and I'm like, I should work. Well, they were making you. I should wear a mask. I should put a mask on. So I put it on. I go inside and there's all these old men walking around with no mask looking at me like, you're not even a man. <laughs> why, why are you here at Home Depot? I'm like, I'm already scared that I'm not a man. You're confirming it. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, yeah. It's like the middle school locker room, like every day, everywhere you go. Like, do I measure up? Um, yeah. I mean, it's just one of the things, you know, so it's like the, like the Heidelberg Catechism talks about how, you know, where the words faithfully preached and faithfully received, it is the word of God, you know, and one of the things I've struggled with this year is, well, there's no one, there's no one in the room to faith, so it's, it's just me talking, in a sense, and people might appreciate it, and it might be helpful, and it might be faithful, um, but there's, it, there's a, a reciprocity that's necessary, like, to us doing the faith um, that I've been reminded of. Mm -hmm. um, because, you know, like, grace for sinners requires sinners. <laughs> like, not just the giver of the grace. Um, yes, that is true. Okay. <laughs> we are just about to hear from Carrie Willard. Oh, wonderful. So let's take about three minutes, let everybody get uh, coffeeed up, and we'll be right back. Thanks to Jason Michelli and David Zoll for hanging out.